0: Iris
1: Prize. Congrats.
0: Iris Prize LGBT Plus Film Festival.
1: For nearly two decades, Emmanuel Anya Sigue's obsession with diversity has won the hearts and minds of filmmakers and audiences alike. His blueprint for how minorities should be represented has stood the test of time, long before the penny dropped for other institutions far and wide that diversity truly matters. This year, as Buff marks its 15th anniversary, the more things change the more things stay the same. Never has diversity been more relevant than in 2020. And as long as the issue remains in the public eye, Emmanuel has ensured that for creatives everywhere, the British Urban Film Festival is a broad church that welcomes all creeds and all colors, comfortable in its own skin and bold in its approach to storytelling and showcasing film as seen through the social and cultural lens. From BFM to Buckingham Palace, it's been quite a journey for the man who literally bet the house on making Buff the success that it is today.
2: Good afternoon, welcome to the British Urban Film Festival. I'm Claire anyamo Segway I'm the Managing Director of the festival. It's our 15th anniversary, which is very exciting, 15th annual festival. And it's the first time that we've ever delivered this digitally and virtually. So we're very excited by that. Obviously in the current climate of COVID and the pandemic, our usual stance would be that we'd be in different cinemas around the West End and um, Southeast of London but um, this year we're bringing it globally to you guys from our website and from obviously Apple TV, which is very exciting. So today on the line, I've got the, what would be classed as the art house strands film, where all these different beautiful films have different themes. Um, Some of them are fashion films, some of them are artistic stylistic films, different kind of mixed genre. And I'm going to come to the first person that joined me today, which was Johan. Johan, if you could just introduce yourself, the title of your film, a brief synopsis and how you got involved in the project.
3: Great. Yes. So I'm Johan Naya. Uh, The title of the film is Loki's Game. And the synopsis, um, well, if, if I give you the working title was The Fight, and uh, Supple who's the uh, co-director, uh, he had this concept in his head of uh, a fight that starts off very gritty, and then it sort of expands into something more surreal and trippy. And um, so essentially, it's just two main actors as well as a third actor who plays um, the role of Loki. And I would say that I got involved because I, I was introduced to Supple by uh, the music producer on the film, who's Fraser Bennett. And we really connected on the ideas. Uh, Supple's done a lot of choreography for my like, Chemical Brothers videos and things like that. And I'm more of a narrative uh, storyteller. And we put our, our minds together and we came up with this concept and it evolved into Loki's game. And um, yeah, that, that's pretty much how, how we got to where we are.
2: Fantastic, thank you and welcome. Seth, good afternoon. Talk to us about your project, the title and how you got involved in it.
4: Yeah, um, so my name's Seth, as, uh, as you, you just said. Um, our film is called Rice and Bread, I'm the producer. I have to big up Greta, who's the director, who's not currently here. And uh, Rodrigo, the writer as well. Um, so our film Rice and Bread is essentially uh, a conversation between two people about anthropology in a Southeast London takeaway. Um, which sounds kind of a bit, that uh, well, sounds very art house, I guess, doesn't it?
5: Um, that,
4: that's, that's the long, and sh- that's the kind of short of it, not the long of it, but I'm sure we'll talk more as we go on.
2: Absolutely, we will. We will. Thank you so much. Yeah. Simone joining us. Hi. Talk to us about the two projects that you're producing for. Okay, so uh, the first one
6: is called Mio Leku, which
2: means survival.
6: Um, written and directed by Remy Lauda, about a young man uh, looking for his way in life and um, falling into a wrong crowd, but then haunted by ghosts of an ancestor, an African ancestor, and he helps him to find his way. Um, so a, sort of a coming of age story. And the second film is The Overcoat, and it's about an, well, it's based on an old, very old short story, a Ukrainian story written in 1842 about a man who's living a miserable bleak life and it gets turned upside down once he gets a new overcoat, um, which changes everything. And mm-hmm. um, those are t- two quite different stories, but they both fit into the art house strand.
2: Lovely. And you're producing both of them? Yes. How did you get involved in the as a producer? So with Mio Leku, I met uh, Remy at a rain
6: dance event and he said, oh, I've got a project. I think you might resonate with the story. And so I said, "Sure, send it to me and I loved it. And with the overcoat, I'd already worked with, the, with Justin Juiceback, the director, and he had the, the project was brought to him and he came to me with it and said, look, okay, I think we can make something nice and lovely out of this. And we did, which is why we're here.
7: Thank you. You're really welcome. And um, next up is Maronike. Um, Good morning, everyone. Maronike Balagan here. Um, My film is called Night Wolf, and it's about a female um, intelligence agency from intelligence agents from Nigeria who was recruited by the CIA for a one-off special mission, which turns out to be um, a little bit more complicated than she imagined. And it explores the world of um, multiple universes, the multiverse, as well as uh, human evolution and what the next phase of that might look like. Um, And I came through it to uh, really create a proof of concept for a larger idea. Uh, I'm starting to try and do that more and more with some of my projects and I just thought this was um, just a small kernel of a way to kind of like pop that idea a little bit.
2: Fantastic and I just will plug and congratulate you that you are a lead writer and story editor on how to get away with murder, which-
7: uh... that was a couple of years ago now. Now I'm on a show called Big Sky.
2: okay. Um,
7: uh, Just just premiered a couple of weeks ago um, on ABC, but if you guys are in the US or wherever you can get access, you should tune in.
2: Superb, thanks for joining us from the States as well. I know the time difference, it's quite a commitment. So thank thank you. Remy, good afternoon.
5: Hey, how's it going, everyone? Hope you're well.
2: Good, thank you so much. Talk to us about your project and how you came to tell this story.
5: Um, okay, well, Simone said it really, really well, but I'll just elaborate on it a little bit further. Um, so I kind of wrote Miareku, um, wrote when directed it because I kind of, it was born out of like, you know, thinking about how, you know, Black history isn't really portrayed um, that well in like growing up in the UK. If you, unless you go out and actively um, look at it yourselves and research it for yourselves, you're can kind of given quite a stereotypical and very narrow-minded kind of like history. Um, And I thought, well, that's not, you know, we've got such a wealth of history, you know, um, with so many different empires and stuff like that. And if you're growing up in England, you can kind of um, feel like, you know, you're very stereotyped about what it is to be like a, a black male or just a black person and i thought how amazing would it be if you know if one of like your ancestors would come back and tell you about your history and tell you that you're not actually a stereotype because i think like our education system is quite like colonialized um especially with black history you know um so it would be amazing to 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 you know to spread the knowledge you know and just be proud about your history rather than it just starting at slavery or, or those starting points so for me it was just kind of sharing the wealth of knowledge um that this ancestor could bring to someone who's kind of going down the wrong path um and kind of like spurring up, spur him on and enlighten him to be like you know what i'm from proud culture um and you know i can do better than what's been kind of like thrown on me uh, by the media and stuff like that so that's kind of why I wrote it. Oh, yes,
2: brilliant, and absolutely not the same synopsis that Simone gave. And so I'm glad that you was here yeah. to tell that. Thank you. Yeah.
5: But that's that's why I started to write it. You know, it's obviously
8: what Simone said as well. But yeah. Sure.
2: Yeah, no, but this is relevant. Thank yeah. you. Really, really cool. Justin, welcome to the plane to tell the story.
8: Um, hi everyone. Um, my name is Justin Juice Black. I'm the director of the Overcoat. Um, the project was brought to me actually by David, who, uh, who also stars in the Overcoat. And he was also a co-writer of it and adapted the story. Cause the story itself is originally from like 1842 by an author called Nikolai Gogol uh, from the Ukraine. And David himself is of Ukrainian heritage as well. And I'd known David for like a few years. We had a um, a project that, well, there was a feature film project that I was due to direct about three, four years ago now. And uh, it got, it. it very long story short is um, the financing fell through on it from from the producers' side of things. So, But the thing is, we kept, I kept in contact with a lot of people from that project, David being one, and also Simone, actually. That's actually how, how I met Simone as well. Um, so anyways, I so mean, David, we worked on a few projects after that. And then he said to me, you know, there's a story that he wanted to see if I'd be interested in helping him bring to life and whatnot. And he talked about the overcoat, and obviously, I was aware of the story itself from a few, well, from when I was a kid in in high school from English class. Um, so yeah, so he basically brought the project to me, and I thought, you know what, this like this is something that I I think yeah I, I could really do something really good on. And I thought also on a personal level, I mean, we, we may get into this later, but on a personal level for me, as a black filmmaker, I think it's it, it's important that we're able to do stuff which is not necessarily what's expected of us you know um and i think i think when people would see the film out of context of seeing who the filmmaker was and then if they were to then see me i think they would be pretty much surprised at that you know and that's one of the things that i like about the project and and that was also attractive to me about the project as well you know because like i said i i want to as black filmmakers i think it's important that we can break down barriers and also importantly break down what's expected of us you know and i think the overcoat was an opportunity to do just that and yeah
2: Fantastic. No, no, I, I'm sure we all probably share your sentiments with regards to because we are, you know, writers of color, Black people, African people, Caribbean, wherever we're f- coming from. We don't have to just tell those indigenous stories.
8: But we those have, stories, really those... have the
2: right to tell, you know, other yes. stories. Yeah. So, I,
8: I think. I think. Sorry. I think those stories are important, though. I think our, no, our stories no, 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 are no, hugely important. But I think. I think it's also our true breakthrough will come when. Uh, a studio that comes to us and not just because they have a black project do you know what i mean sure. i think when, when when they come to us because they know that this is the best filmmaker for that you know and i think like right now we're going through a much needed period of correction where the studios are now aware okay if we have a, 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 a again i'm going to use quote marks a black project we need to make sure we have a black filmmaker behind it as it should be right but i think in a few years we'll be at the at the place where they're going to come to us for I don't know a rom-com set in Ireland in the 15th century I don't know do you know what I mean like yeah yeah variety
2: yeah a wide variety of storytelling
8: exactly and and again that that that, that's one of the things again that that I found so enticing about the project as well is it was an opportunity to to be a part of that you know that that approach
0: thank you so um I had I wrote a one-page poem about the environment I wanted to tell the environmental story in a different way. So I wrote this one page poem, um, uh, which was 24 lines. I then had the crazy idea of doing a different style of animation and visual effect for each line. Um, and, and then try and make it have that continuity all the way through so it feels like the same film. Um, so for every single line has its own little unique look um, as you go through the film. Right. Um, So uh, that was where the idea came from. Um, And the title was very much, I'd seen a documentary many years ago um, where they were showing pollution in the atmosphere and it was really thick, the clouds. And it just, it reminded me of like thick velvet. And I had this idea of- a beautiful
2: way of describing it actually, yes.
0: I had this idea of, you know, we have all these abstract theories about how to fix the environment, but there's no real concrete proof. So that's sort of where the title
9: came from.
2: So welcome, tell us a bit about your project and how you came to tell this story.
9: Sure, so my name is Akori Lose McKellar and my film is a short film called A Fashion Show, and it's it's an abstract metaphorical piece um, about race and how society deals with race, uh, told from the perspective of someone new, myself, who was born and raised in Bristol. Um, and that's, that story is kind of told through the vehicle of a fashion show. Uh, the kind of aim was, it's not actually about fashion, it's much wider, much broader than that, but the aim was to give a and I look at film like, like art as I'm sure that everyone here does and um, I wanted to give as, an, as authentic a representation of like my experience on my mind and put it on the screen as possible. And I wanted to make an interpretive experience such that we could all watch it and we could all kind of come away from the, from the screen with our own kind of uh, experience, individual to us, because I feel like that's how you should experience art. You should project your, yourself onto it and get something back and that's unique to you. Um, and that's what I tried to do with the fashion show. Um, yeah, that's how I came to make that film—it's uh, my first ever film, actually. I never directed a film before that. I got the great opportunity through directing other things uh, to do uh, something with the BBC as part of the New Creators Programme, and I just had this idea, and I kind of went with it. My mother's in fashion, so that's a big kind of uh, inspiration for that. And I, you know, my family, my household is very concerned about race and how society deals with these issues. And obviously, being black, like, it's a very something you can't really ignore. And growing up in Bristol with all the history here, with regards to Colston and the, the ports and... Yes. Taking on tours of these really slave ships when you are a kid, like it's something that you can't really ignore. Yeah, um,
2: very blatantly part of the heritage of the city, isn't it? Um, it's a slave port city.
9: Yeah. And and also
2: to like, add on to that with the trivia of your own family, um, I read in, in, my, uh, in our kind of press and comms notes that your great grandfather, is the founder of The Voice, which is obviously yeah. the first black newspaper, you know, that our kind fan- and the longest standing as well. You know, we really don't have any other black media here that's completely black owned. Yeah. Um, so that's that's massive kudos to your family Appreciate and uh, welcome, awesome. All right, folks. So, just thinking about the, the, um trials and tribulations, and obviously the triumphs of filmmaking. I'm gonna to come to you first, Remy. Um, what were some of the challenges that you found on this production and how did you sort of get through them?
5: Yeah, oh, sorry, my bad. Um, that's a good question. I mean, challenges for Mialeku um, well while filming it was, uh, there were a few challenges, one being the weather, um, obviously, but because um, we shot a lot outside. Um, But there's like a one take, um, which lasts for about three minutes. I can't remember exactly how long it is when that um, and it goes for like two or three scenes. So that was quite a a challenge. And it was all just on a steady cam. So moving from like one part of um, outside going across roads and stuff like that. And, you know, and that was very challenging because there's different characters in it um, coming in and out of um, the conversation. So for, for us, that was quite a challenge. But it was, it was really good. And the choreography of the steady cam, the actors, it just felt like theatre. Um, so for me, it was really enriching to watch it all come together. Um, and then also, I guess the, the edit, like knowing when to stop, knowing when a scene is done, mm. knowing when, you know, how do you make it better? Is it good enough? And, you know, and I think that that was kind of, um, that was a challenge. But having good people around you to kind of like, you know, well, with the editor, big up Rodney for doing that, and he was uh, he was very good at you know moulding it into what it is as well. So yeah, those were the challenges.
2: Superb. Thank some you. of the
5: challenges. Bit some like of it.
2: the challenges. Yeah. No, no, everyone's got a shopping list, but yeah, maybe one or two is just fine. <laughs> I know, as a filmmaker, it's not easy. Yeah. Seth, on your project, talk to us about some yeah. of the challenges you faced.
4: Um, basically, I would say to anyone watching this, if you're trying to make a film in a Chinese takeaway. Um, <laughs> make sure you've got a lot of money to do it. Um, we basically scoured Southeast London for about two months trying to find a Chinese takeaway to film in. And I've got, I've got a lot of mates whose parents and uncles own Chinese takeaways. So I kind of very naively at the start thought I could sort of get something for free to film in. But as anyone knows, you know, when you're making a film, it's like having a party in someone's house, isn't it? You know, it's not it's not very straightforward. So um, in the end, we actually had to make our own takeaway and our amazing, uh, yeah, our amazing production designer, Marissa Mito, um, who's from Japan and America. Um, she basically got a, a white studio and wallpapered the walls with some very kind of tacky marble kind of effects of Chinese takeaway thing and built a whole, a whole Chinese takeaway. Um, Incredible. In about two days and, and, it, and people were actually coming up and trying to come into the Chinese takeaway thinking <laughs> it was a new shop. So uh, that was the biggest challenge really, the location. Um, and just kind of making that work. But yeah, it was, all came together. big up,
2: man, (laughs) because set production, I mean, that's not, it's almost like an afterthought, really. Yeah. Especially for low, micro, no budget films. Well, well,
4: that's it, that's it. I think we had a budget of about 700 pounds to do this film. So we really had to kind of stretch it, but um, big up Marissa, who's now, she was a student then. She's now working on feature films and and whatever else. So, uh, you know, I'd I'd say anyone who's out there wants to do production design, just get stuck in and make it happen, you know?
2: Good stuff. Thank you. Uh, Johan, any challenges on your production?
3: Of course, yes. Um, Fair few challenges. I think the biggest challenge we had was our cameraman got very sick on the day of the shoot. Uh, He just told us like a couple of days before, but everything was just already in motion. So we ended up using like my own camera, which was not quite what we were hoping for, but actually in the end, it kind of it fitted in quite well because our film is kind of gritty anyway. So in the end, we made it work. We still had our um, we still had our Steadicam guy, Rory, who was fantastic. And, um, and my cousin stepped in, he was helping out with all the focus stuff. So um, that's David, he was, he was the uh, creative director. So we managed to sort of, we managed to make it work. And um, because yeah, everything was just geared towards one day of filming. Mm. and uh, yeah the wheel's already in motion so we just we just pushed on and and got it done
2: I love it when almost like a plan B becomes the plan A Mm. indirectly like you say in the film was gritty so it kind of lended itself to maybe not so high higher resolution camera as the one that you attended but actually it made for it fit the genre better or the story better in some ways isn't it beautiful how life works out like that
3: yeah no, I I felt it was yeah it was really nice and yeah when when we when we look back at it, it actually just it just worked so well so because it's kind of there's it's a very sort of we filmed it under a, a bridge in around um, not far from uh, Battersea area and yeah it was it that was that was just like a London street and the whole shoot was there so yeah it worked it worked out and that was yeah a bit of bit of luck in a way mm,
2: super and um, Marina Kay. Were there any challenges on your production and how did you overcome? Oh, it went perfectly, just kidding. Like <laughs> <Beautiful>. <laughs> what? Of
7: challenges. <laughs> Yeah, I think um I almost had like a, a little bit of a mental breakdown the night before, and my husband was like, calm down, just take it easy. <laughs> and the issue was like I just I struggled, I had a very short period of time between finishing um, one writing assignment and starting another. So if I was going to do this, and this is my first project as well, it had to happen in this short sliver of time. And it was just uh, um, finding the right crew, the right people to get involved was very, um, very trying. And uh, I learned a lot. And basically, I think they always say, like, you can have something that's fast and cheap, um, but it won't be good, you know, like you have the three things, there's quality, there's speed, and then there's cost. And I found that to definitely be true, especially when you're trying to wear so many hats, um, like be the costume person, and the director, and like, you know, wearing all the these hats. And if I had to do it again, I think I would try to delegate more, and then give myself more time, because I think overall, it, it um, I, I did feel like it did the project in some way, if I'm being honest. Um, So I think next time I've learned from from all those mistakes. So just giving myself the time to find the right people um, and to make sure that, uh, you know, I don't just squish it into this small sliver of time, just wait for it to to evolve and wait for it to be the right time. And um, yeah, so that was the biggest challenge was time, I think for me.
2: Great, yeah, love that. Yeah, great. Thank you for sharing that, that's perfect. And. Coming to you, Okori, if I can, and unmute yourself, um, challenges on your project?
9: Man, we had loads, um, but it's like, like, funny enough, like, it's like you said, some of them ended up, like, plan B's became plan A's and worked really, really good. So I can think of two key ones. One was, uh, on the day of his shoot, the, kind of, one of the main actors just couldn't make it. Um, and he played a really significant role in the film uh, without giving too much away because I'd want I really like people to watch it without knowing everything about it but there's a, it ends with there's a, a figure who's meant to be kind of like the, the mastermind of the one running the show and so that, that actor couldn't make it and so what we had to do then was get our executive producer I was like Yo, do you mind like being the actor of the show and he ended up doing it doing a great job and there's kind of this meta experience because he actually was the one putting the strings around the whole film in that sense so that was really cool. And I'm happy with that, where, um, and I think, yeah, like just it, the whole pre-production was a first casting. I think that was probably the most challenging thing because when you get an opportunity to make a film, you think, okay, great, I know what I want to do. I've got the lines, I've got the script. And you think, wait, you actually have to find people to play these characters that you have in your head. And you've got, a, yeah, that was like, for me, just to sit down and interview people like, and be like, hey, it was, yeah, that was a very challenging experience. It was fun that everyone that I met on the set fortunately like we had a great relationship and some of them became like, like really good friends who we hang out with to this day um so yeah challenging at first but in the end it, it was it was great
2: perfect lovely thank you and Justin juice black any challenges on your project
8: um I mean yeah <laughs> um I mean there's a few things it, it's Okay, so I think one of the things is, for example, our first day of shooting was the scene where it was like a a party scene where these these colleagues have gone to a a bar to a pub to you know to celebrate that evening, and they've all known each other for years and and all of that. So there had to be a good, really good uh, chemistry there between them all. But that was literally the first scene we shot, and all the actors had just met like you know probably like half an hour before that, you know. So it was it was. It was challenging, but I'm also proud of it because we managed to corral it together. Do you know what I mean? And, and I think we put across that chemistry on screen. Um, and I think the, the other thing as well, the, one of the key challenges that we had was we had a um, like an office space where we filmed for the actual office, but we managed to turn, well, actually my production designer, Colette, and also our standby props, Vicky, they managed to turn it into about five different locations. So different offices, one scene is like, one of the angles for the police station then we got the manager's office and it was all literally like one room like a conference room but the way it was the set was designed and and with their skill set they managed to really turn it around so it was quite a challenge and you know much as I'm confident in both in myself and, and in a team that 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 we that I work with it was still something where you know you think it's are we going to be able to pull this off? You know, is it going to be convincing? And I think it, I think we really did pull it off. And team, Colette and Vicky in particular, they, they smashed it, you know. So it was a big challenge, but I feel that they stepped up and they, they more than delivered. So, yeah.
2: Smashing. Brilliant. What's that kind of moment in the film that really kind of washed away all of the the dramas and the challenges? What's that one scene or maybe two or three mm-hmm. that you just think, yeah, this is why I'm a filmmaker. This is what we do this for. Um, I'll come to you, Johan.
3: Um, yes, yeah, very good question. I mean, I think uh, definitely seeing it all uh, tied up at the end, you know, we had, uh, yeah, had it color graded and all the music was set right yeah I think looking at that final version where you see yeah all of you know it's it's a collection of minds who who put together a film and when everyone's sort of playing their role as well as they can, I think that really um, you know you, you know you, you know it's you, you can just see all of all of those uh, pieces of effort going in and, and making it something very original and very uh, highly creative and yeah, for me, definitely. Looking back, especially after we got it back from uh, the color grading team, um, Carol and Thea, that was that was fantastic, and and, and the performances as well by um, by Axel and Andrew. You know, that was they were they were brilliant in their roles, and it was because it was it was kind of a yeah. When when we shot it, there were some scenes where I remember uh, without giving too much away, there was a, a scene where yeah, the actors were very uncomfortable because they were sort of playing a uh, a mother giving birth to the <laughs> to the other one and uh and i remember sort of supple really because he's very much a hands-on um he's very much a hands-on because he was choreo- choreographing and directing and he was just getting like straight stuck in there and you could see their discomfort but in in the end yeah it just when when you see it within the context of the film where, where all the sounds are sound effects sort of enhancing it and, um, and the editing. Um, yeah, just really nice to see it come together like that.
2: Good, brilliant. Seth, same question. What's that moment in the movie that just makes it all make sense?
4: Um, I don't know if it makes any sense really, but uh, I guess the moment in the kind of the production and the movie, if you like, that makes sense. It's just the actors, you know, the Manasseh and Kevin who act in it. I think for us, once we started seeing them Saying those lines and it just clicked, you know. You think to yourself, "Well, there's some soul here," you know. If nothing else, it, you know, it may not pay off. It may not make sense, you know. But when the characters or the actors start kind of inhabiting the characters and bringing it to life, that's that's the magic moment, I think, really.
2: Yeah, brilliant. Marina the moment, the magic in the movie. What's that? What's that one scene that you absolutely adore? Um,
7: there's a scene where most of the actors are on set for that particular shot and um, luckily we just had lunch so That's everyone such was such like such a little bit it. Uh, that helps <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not always guaranteed and a small set <laughs> and low budget yeah yeah um but i definitely wanted to make sure people are fed because I, I know mm-hmm. how that what that feels like <laughs> um so everyone was there's just a moment where like hair and makeup are standing by and looking at everyone and um the crew <laughs> is you know has a, a little bit of an aside there's exactly. just like the moment between a take where everybody just looked like they were having enjoying themselves. Um, even though we were under such time pressure and I was like oh this is fun you know like we're we're all playing together which is what it's supposed to be about like I don't think it should be um, difficult I mean unfortunately we had like really time pressure which I I keep saying but um, it was nice to see everyone just enjoying themselves in that moment because I think that's why um, aside from like the finished product that's why you really want it do what you do I think.
2: It's the com- camaraderie on set yeah. that really kind yeah. of brings and that that, joy, that experience that is bottled in that moment isn't it because you're never going to be able to revisit that you can re-watch the movie obviously millions of times now but you you know that those moments on set yeah they are to be cherished I do love set life when yeah people have got a drink in one hand and a slice of pizza in the other and they're sort of like yeah man this is our little family for the moment you know. Exactly. Awesome. That the, was that similar for you, Justin? Have you got some other moments off screen or on screen that really worked well and brought the production together?
8: I think for me, it was seeing the first time you get to see the full edit and also with the music in place because for, for our film, the music plays a key part of it and um, I think seeing that first edit with with the, with all the songs in place and, and how it all came together, um, yeah, I, yeah that, I think that for me was it was it was kind of unreal because it's then it become it became a real tangible thing you know up until that point where you get that you know you're, you're locked cut and and again you're happy with the grade and you're happy with the sound mix you yeah? up until that point you're still thinking is it going to work is it going to work i'm not too sure and you it's very easy to doubt yourself at that point but then when you see all of those different departments when all of the all of the magic comes together and you got that final edit or there's never really a final edit is there but when you get that that that, um the edit that I guess you're most happiest oh, with
2: like assembly, yeah, yeah,
8: yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, I think I think that that was it for me. Just seeing basically once the music was in there, and once we'd said yeah, this is what we got. Because our our first cut, for example, I think was I can't remember, I think it was like either, like twenty eight minutes or thirty something plus minutes. And at that point, obviously, it's, that's just way too indulgent, you know? Mm, that's a long
2: <laughs> short. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
8: <laughs> and it, it also puts you in that place between between again a feature and the very it's, it's yeah, I feel, so, yeah yeah so I, I, I had to kind of put my emotion in my back pocket and say okay what can we chop let me just look on this from a cold hard point of view what can we chop you know and again once those those edits were made and then suddenly suddenly you're, you've got a, a product where it's like I couldn't imagine it any other way stuff that seems that uh, you know originally you may think oh no it has to stay in there it won't make sense if it's taken out it's taken out and then you watch it, you know, a few days later after you've made the edit and you're like, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine this any other way. You know, so again, I think for me, once I saw that, that final edit come together, where everything was that was, which was extra was taken out and the music was in, that was for me like really, you know, really proud moment
1: Then,
2: Lovely.
0: Logistics. So um, the film, I had the idea because it's a global message. The idea was to do, do it with global collaborators. So, um, it was made on six continents, um, so all those different time zones, and I was working with artists who were working on some big Hollywood movies at the time, um, and I was working at different time zones, so I was getting up at, like, 2am, doing a shot, working with them at midnight, both ends of the day, uh, depending on where they were in the world. Um, the last shot that came in, came in on a boat in Thailand, um, so uh, the guy was from Sweden um, and he'd finished the shot in Thailand but he didn't have the power to render it for the film and I said well we start editing in a couple of weeks so he ordered his laptop from Sweden to come to him in Thailand and there's this video on his Instagram of it coming down this boat with this old guy Uh, and he rendered it on the dock the last shot with Thailand in the backdrop which was kind of... It's a real way to end uh, this journey. Um, so it was really logistics, just balancing different uh, animators, different styles, different time zones. Um, I mean, I knew that when I took it on board. Uh, mm. I think logistically, it's it probably r- remained my biggest challenge in the career. So, um, yeah, it was quite a, quite a journey. And, and the way that I um, got the artists involved, because obviously, some of these guys run some very big movies. They command big fees which i didn't have so i said um what i'll do is i'll make you the stars of the show and i'll give you single screen title cards at the end of the film so which they've never had in their career you know and these are some big animators some big uh visual effects guys and they love that they were like that just sounds amazing because obviously at the end of avatar and star wars some of the films they were working on they just scrolled at the end mm, uh, that's true and no one's ever really gets to see their name on the screen so That's at the fantastic. end of the film you have everybody's title, just a single screen of what they did each shot so that everybody knows and then they could get rehired if, if there's a particular shot that you like.
2: Brilliant. Oh, Corey, that seminal moment in your film that hangs it all together. <laughs>
9: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think for me it probably would have been once the film was like aired and, and, and the other people started to see it on, on TV and on iPlayer and then feedback to me, like how it made them feel and what their experiences were, that to me was like the most and that made all irrespective of whatever like dresses or went post production, like that was that made it all worth it, I think, because it was like getting to you know that something you you made, something you poured you know your heart and stolen to um was able to like impact someone else even if it was only just one person I would have been happy but I think getting all, all this yeah just seeing the feedback seeing the responses from seeing how happy members of the cast and the crew were with, with seeing it all come together but then and then people know who just watched it and messaging telling me oh it made me feel like this or uh, giving us their interpretations like that made it all bang for me personally yeah because was Cause it.
2: it's almost like confirmation that is connected, isn't it? That what what you intended, because obviously your intention is different from
9: the audience's
2: intention, right? And even though people have bought into your vision, your actors, your car, you know, your crew, your production people, they really don't know kind of intricately what you want. You know what I mean? That they've all kind of come together to piece this puzzle. Yeah, exactly. When it's received as a like a full, complete piece of work art, um, and they're and they're telling you their interpretations of certain scenes or this made me feel a certain way, then you're like, Yeah, man.
9: <laughs> <laughs> I think this like is brilliant.
2: why we do what we do. Yeah.
9: Exactly. yeah and uh, when I first did it, like, I thought it was a cool idea, like it was great. But you don't know I, th- I did not know if anyone outside of my head would appreciate it. And to right, see that yeah. people did it was like, oh, okay, wow, like yeah, that, that means a lot to me. So, yeah. Fantastic.
2: And Simone, obviously, um, big up to you as a female producer, our number one black female producer in the UK, because we just don't have many of you. Um, for you, when you've kind of, you know, been a major part of bringing these films to life, what is those moments for you in the projects where you're like, yeah, this is, this is, this is the reason why I bought in, whether it was at script level or now obviously at post-production level, what's that for you? Um... Well, like with Mia Lucky, like Remy said, the tracking shot that we did, I really am
6: proud of that. But one thing he forgot to mention about himself is that he has a dance background and when I read the script I could actually see elements of that coming through with how he had described the shots and things. And it was at the end of day one when we were watching The Rushes and I saw his face because I we had in The Rushes what I had seen when I read the script and it was him watching the rushes, and he had that realization on his face that, oh my gosh, this is what it looks like. And I was just, oh, my heart just—I um, was just so happy. <laughs> I was like, well, that's why I said yes to produce it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and with um, the overcoat, um, just ah, oh, I think it's when we we filmed we filmed it in Oxford. So I don't know anything about Oxford. Didn't know anything about Oxford. I do now, but. The story itself kind of is, a par- is representative of the West at the moment anyway with what's happening in the world with austerity and when we when I watched, it, I really got that how it's so representative everywhere and where it's shot and it could just be anybody can find themselves in that situation, etc, and it just has some sort of um something a bit magical about the way the story was brought to life by Justin. And I'm really proud to have been a part of that and to see people's reaction to, um, to it and the way that they are so unsuspecting of, of what they're going to get from black filmmakers.
0: Um, I wanted to do, um, one of the sequences I wanted to do was Mother Nature um, and what she goes through, but I wanted to do it as an anime sequence, uh, sort of very Japanese style. And, um, which was quite ambitious. And I found an artist that had never done it before. There's lots of artists that had done it before. And I didn't want to go with an artist who'd done that style before because they'll just repeat what they've done. Mm. And I wanted a fresh take on it. So I went to an artist that had the sort of sensibility for it. And I said, this is what I want you to do. And she was like, are you crazy? I can't do this, you know, go and find it. And I said, I think you can do this. I think you're meant to do this. So she was in the U.S. Uh, She spent about five months on the sequence and it came in and I I was in tears when I watched it. It was just beautiful. And even to this day, she says it's her favourite piece of animation she's ever done. And she's been on some big movies. Um, It's just just, because it really sort of showed that if you encourage creativity with artists, you can take them to new places. You can help them become something they wanted to become, you know, rather than just pigeonhole people and put them in a box and say, Mm. you're only supposed to do this. Um, I like to encourage people to do something new each time. Uh, Yeah, Tobias Mm -hmm. Menzies, so Tobias Menzies is the narrator. Uh, Mm. Obviously I wanted somebody, um, a name to do it. I was very particular about the voice, very commanding Mm. voice. Uh, And I was thinking, who's it gonna be? And then for the initial edit, I had to do the narration. So then you sort of get used to hearing your own voice doing it, which you've got to try and switch off from. Um, And I was working on something else on my laptop. The TV was on behind me. And uh, there was a reading of the Iliad that was on. It was like a rerun. And uh, I heard this voice reading, and I was, who is that? Uh, And it was Tobias Menzies. And uh, so I thought that it has to be him. Uh, We contacted his agency. Explained it was a short, which is obviously not what he was uh, looking for. Um, But I said, just just watch the cut. You know, we had a fairly advanced cut at that stage. He loved it and he said, I'm in. I want to do it. uh, We had to wait four months for him because he was filming. Uh, So they said, as long as you want to wait four months, we'll do it. And I said, I'm waiting. You know, (laughs) it's been this long. You're the perfect voice. So, yeah, we went into a recording studio with Tobias and um, it was a lot of fun. I was um, very particular about each line. So uh, normally with a narration. For those, that are, for those that don't know, when you hear it, it's not actually reading it live. So one particular line is four takes spliced together. So we did lots of takes where each each time we did a particular line. I would focus on a word and say, okay, let's do that particular word a bit different. And so then we'd splice those five, five takes together and you've got all those sort of words in a really sort of cool variation, of each one. And then as we were doing it, Tobias was coming up with ideas. So I could say it like this. And, um, and so every single line in the film is like sort of several type t- takes spliced together, but it reads as one continuous piece.
2: In your movie, that makes you really proud that you really enjoy every time you see it.
5: Um, Yeah, I think it was, there was like a moment where like being on set where you go, oh, you know, it's what like, you know, it's challenging what we do. So it's like when you when you're on set, um, it was the ancestor scene, I think, and um, the actors, the energy that they both brought to the roles were just like phenomenal. And I was just like. I could feel it and it was just really nice to like be part of something with like real, it felt like it, it meant something well to me and to the people involved with it. So that was like, yeah, the way it translated um, when we were on set and on camera was amazing. And like the actors like big up, like Hayden and uh, Phillips Naughty as well. Like Hayden McLean's amazing. He plays um, Jacob and Phillips Naughty. And And what was really lovely about like working with Phillips is, that um like he was telling me that part of his ancestry, his like great, great, great grandfather was like a Ga tribesman who um or a chief who kind of like fought off like some of the colonial forces that came to 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 like Ghana and the the West Coast. So I could in my head I was like, I wonder if he's kind of like like, you know bringing that into the role and stuff like that which yeah I like, was channeling, like
7: channeling yeah
5: channeling. the ancestors and I was just like I kind of got gassed off of that like whether he did or not I don't know I'll have to ask him properly no. or you guys have to ask him but for me that was like a moment where I was like oh wow I, yeah it was amazing and you know Hayden's reaction to it was for me was was powerful so yeah big up them and you know everyone involved really
2: I love that as well because it it reminds me of when I was on set for my own film, No Shade. And um, it unfolded as we were filming that my actors, who who were, this was their first feature film and it was mine, that they had so much um, of a connection to the characters that they were they were playing but they never mentioned that in the rehearsals we did like Same. rehearsals yeah. they never mentioned it in the casting process but then when they were on set they just gave me so much like sometimes I was forgetting to say cut because I'd be in tears or wow. I'd just be like shit man like you, it, you, don't you are it, yeah. like this yeah. is it, like you're giving yeah. me everything, you know, um, and and there's something really supremely yeah. special about that, where um, it's kind of like that fine line, isn't it, where the art becomes life and mm. kind of like the lines are a, a bit blurred in that moment, when it makes sense, do you know what yeah. I
5: mean? Exactly. I think it can
2: really, really make for a special piece of work.
5: Yeah, I had no idea that um, right. Phillips had had that connection until like way into into the filming and stuff like that. So I was like, "Oh, this is this is yeah, amazing." So I can and thanks to Simone for connecting us, really. So yeah,
2: yeah that's what great producers are there for. Exactly. <laughs> she yeah, she knew
5: what, what she was doing.
2: Fantastic. And so um, my sort of last question really is the, the the big dreams. Loads of people are watching this from all over the world. Um, loads of people have eyes on BAF as a BAFTA accredited BIFA, AMA, um, awarded festival and agents, producers, writers, directors are listening. So I just was, I've all asked everybody in my Q and A's, um, and I'll come to Marina Kay first, um, unlimited funds. What's the next project we're making?
7: Ooh. Um, there are quite a few scripts that I have, like feature lengths that I've written that, um, it's been a struggle to get them produced in hollywood just because of you know now it's in vogue to make black narratives but it, it wasn't always this way and i think a lot of people can relate who are on this panel so trying to now look at those projects and say can i now push these things out there and and make them come true um there is uh, i think i kind of slant towards the surreal and uh sci-fi a little bit genre bending. And there are a couple of films that I would just, ooh, I would just love to make and get out there. And I think it um, it offers a new a new approach to telling stories from the diaspora um, with an eye towards like futurism. So a little bit of Afrofuturism and all of them. I and I think that you know the the continent is ready for it. Um, I think there's a just a, a market for it, a huge market for it. And I, I hope that people out there see that, not just for me, but all the other filmmakers out there. We have um, a market for these films and they need to be brought to life. So um, yeah, I'm ready, if anyone. <laughs> <laughs> up. The check, the moolah. Yeah. Good. Oh, good, good, good. And Seth,
2: how about you? Unlimited funds, what are we doing? Um, I think... Well
4: I think the UK as a whole is facing a lot of kind of interesting questions right now and I think yeah. for me I can't look kind of that far fast far, far, that fast past anyway that far past wow. um, just <laughs> telling stories that really tap into like where we're at as a country you know um, and where we're going it seems like the world's kind of moving so fast right now and there's a lot of kind of unanswered questions and, and things going on. And, and I think for me as a producer and a filmmaker and the people I work with, it's all about kind of telling stories that are true to the current state of the UK. That's kind of where we're at, really. So if I, you know, if I had unlimited funds, I would, uh, I would just try and find the most interesting, most heart touching, most empathetic stories possible.
2: <laughs> there we go. No worries, perfect. Justin, what are we making with
8: unlimited funds? Um, do you know what I think It's actually, you, you think unlimited funds would be the most amazing thing ever, but I think to have unlimited funds could also end up shooting yourself in the foot. So just just, be a, just, just uh, my opinion on that. But um, because I think we often work best, you know, when, when we have some kind of restriction placed on us as, as counterproductive as that may seem. You know, when your back's against the wall, that's how we've all uh, faced issues when we made all of our own films Everyone one on this panel here. I think, you know, we saw the, the greatness that came out of that. Do you know what I mean? When our back was against the wall. But putting that aside, um, we I mean, myself and Simone, uh, who's my producing partner on pretty much everything that I do, we have a, f- a few projects that, that are in the process of coming together. Um, one key one that we have is a, is a feature film. Um, it's very international, as most of the stuff that we do is, has a lot of international themes or productions. Um, and it shoots on like, three different continents you know it's pretty it's a mix of sci-fi and 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 faux science and mythology and all the rest of it so i guess uh giving opportunity that would be the one that we'll be making uh well, as soon as we can is the best as I, I could put it at the moment um but yeah so so yeah giving opportunity that will be the the project that we would that i would personally
2: like the shoot first yeah and again obviously this is why it's good to talk because sounds like something that you and marina k could potentially just talk to about and connect and you know what i mean you just never know in five years time what could happen you could be working together on the same project someone's writing someone's directing someone's producing you know and those relationships are made above so yeah it's definitely possible wonderful and then thinking about newness james last question if we had unlimited funds and a bigger budget, what would your next project be?
0: Um, I kind of, if it was unlimited funds, um, I, I work a lot in drama, but I think if it was unlimited funds, I'd probably do a big sci fi movie. Uh, I've always wanted to do something in space, um, but obviously they're very expensive with the studios and the green screens. Um, but if I had a big budget, I would do this uh, sort of sci fi movie about the history of humanity and uh, it'd be quite epic.
2: Johan. Unlimited funds, even though we are all filmmakers with our backs against the wall, as Justin has said, and we're used to having to battle through and do a lot with a little. If you had the opportunity to say, "Okay, yeah, this is this is what I want to make with some with some funds," what would you? I do? think
3: um, unlimited unlimited would be something to do with Mars. But for now, being a bit more on the realistic side, um, yeah, my my interests uh, a bit like Marenica, uh, I've strong interest in evolution and um, and how that connects with like psychology as well and so something um, something that ties in with that and perhaps yeah how that how that projects over into the future you know so whether it's um, whether it's like humans evolving into different species like like we came from sort of Neanderthals and then the human and um, something like that but projecting Projecting forwards, you know, and how how that might play out in the future. Where where maybe you know, just like um, uh, like uh, chimpanzees and bonobos, they were once the same species, and then they they sort of diverged at one point when uh, I think it was the Congo River sort of became so wide that actually they 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 were on either side of it, and it became like a, a dividing point, and then they actually yeah bonobos are like uh, well chimpanzees are more like patriarchal they're more like like violent and then then uh, the bonobos are more like hippies and they're more uh, like a, a matriarchy and they solve all their problems by having sex with each other and stuff like that anyway that's <laughs> too much detail but yeah something um something which uh which ties in these these other interests i have uh, nice. perhaps in conversation whether, it, whether it's conversation or actually um actually sort of projecting as well i don't know i don't know
2: sounds really really fascinating (laughs)
6: i'm
2: I'm really looking forward to seeing these things that's really cool and that's the power of film isn't it it's like it can be historical can be you know can be scientific in a way that tells us about you know the human race before the beginning of time you know and you can play with those elements it's really really fascinating brilliant yeah
3: that kind of thing yeah
2: oh Corey, in limited funds what are you doing
9: Ooh, that's a good question. I think, for me, I, my interest really lies in creating experiences. Um, fundamentally, I think that's what I want to do. I want to, I would, if I had unlimited funds, I want to be able to push, like push, push the film as far as it can go and make something that isn't necessarily bound by convention or expectation and try, try and, my whole thing for everything that I create is I want to make things that whether it's good or bad, that you feel something strong—whether that's disgust or love or hate or, or appreciation—I I think that's what um, that—that's what's most important. And I, and I guess to really make people see, I'm interested, to, like the others mentioned about so the psychology and the mind and who we are and what we are and, and in the context of, of, of I guess like what we exist in and our society exists in. I think if I could have have free reign to make people or not make i guess force people to to look at themselves and the society that we're in um properly and think about that uh, and come out with i don't know come out different i, I want to create experiences like transformative experiences through the screen and that is what i want to make um so yeah that would be my goal how i do that who knows but um
2: not entirely sure, but it sounds like you should definitely link up with Seth. Yeah, sure. maybe even (laughs) Johan. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. And um, Remy, Unlimited Funds, what are we doing, bro?
5: Making a movie, for sure. Um, No, uh, so basically, oh gosh, I love history. So I think I would probably delve into some, like, there's so many amazing segments of history that, you know, really fascinate me. So I think I would probably try and make, some films or a film based around that, you know, how we can like learn from, you know, other histories, like not just, um, you know, like sub-Saharan Africa, but you know, other places around in different continents. So I think it would definitely be something to do with history and, you know, what we can learn from that period um, to kind of like better ourselves really. Um, And I think there's just, there are some like, times in history where it just visually looked insane and amazing, so I'd love to recreate those and what it would kind of look like. So that's a big passion of mine.
2: Nice. Wonderful. And Simone, lastly, if you could raise, you know, a couple of million quid, what sort of genres you think that you would probably personally want to attach yourself to next? Um, as Justin said, we have, we have a couple of things under
6: our sleeves, so it would be one I've created It's a sci-fi dystopian thriller um, set in London in another now moment. But I guess questioning, looking at how we view the diaspora in that time compared to how we view them now. And because it's sort of, it's in development, so I I won't say too much more.
2: Yeah, no, don't tell us. It requires a lot of money. So so a (laughs) someone. Nice. Okay, good stuff. And that almost concludes our uh, Q&A. If I could just thank you all for being on the call. I'm going to ask Johan to give us your social media handles for you as a filmmaker and then for the film, if you have one that's separate.
3: Um, I, think, I think it's just mainly my, my Instagram, really, just Johan R Naya with a J, J-O-H-A-N-R Naya N-A-Y-A-R. And um, for, for the films of me and Supple, you can go to our websites, johannaya.com and supplenam,
2: S-U-P-P-L-E-N-A-M.com
3: uh, as well. So that's probably the best place.
2: Brilliant. And Seth?
4: Um, I don't actually have any social media handles, unfortunately, but uh, for our film,
2: Do pardon? Do you have a website or? Uh, For
4: our film, we have a Facebook and it's at Wheat as in W-H-E-A-T Brav.
2: <laughs> okay. There you go. Wheat <laughs> and bread, wheat bread.
4: Wheat bruv, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. London stuff, top. you
2: know. <laughs> 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 We're just food references in general. Okay. Superb. Simone. Um. So I'm Simone McIntyre
6: on Twitter and the Simone McIntyre on Instagram. The overcoat is the overcoat movie, and Mieleku is Mieleku film.
2: Mieleku film. Yeah. Remy.
5: Um, my Instagram handles Raminio, so that's R-E-M-I-N-H-O-O. And then Mialeku is mieleku.film
2: Just spell um, mieleku
5: M-I-O-L-E-K-U. But it doesn't have an accent on the U for the Instagram, so you can find that. Beautiful. Uh,
7: Marenike. Um, my Twitter is Marenike Balogun. Um, and, uh, I do have a website called Ocean and Aloran Films, which is my, um, Fledgling production company. Um, that's O S U N and Oloron O-L-O-R-U-N films.com. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, other than that, I'm a little bit of a social media reckless, but those are those two work.
2: <laughs> no worries. Thank you so much. Justin, where can we grab hold of you?
8: Um, my Instagram is Juice Black, uh, J-U-I-C-E-B-L-A-C-K. Similar in the same way my Twitter is uh, at Juice Black as well. Um, our production company website is xlfilms.uk so that's the letter x the letter l films.uk um on there you can see um, a bunch of our previous projects and the stuff that we're currently doing now um, and as someone said the overcoat movie on instagram is our is the is the overcoats uh, instagram page mm-hmm. as well
2: smashing and Okori?
9: Sure, oh, yeah my instagram is okori, uh, underscore um, and my Twitter is only Aquari, um, at only Aphory. So uh, the film I haven't got a direct hit. so it's up on BBC if you type on Apori at show, come up on BBC. It's on my Vimeo. I'm working to get it hosted on um, a platform called Mandons
0: soon. Uh. yeah, so I'm on Twitter as the James Hughes, uh, the James Hughes film on Instagram and Facebook, and Velvet Abstract is the film on Twitter um and the velvet abstract on instagram nice one
2: superb guys thank you so much for your time this is the british Urban film festival's art house strand q a it's been an absolute pleasure you can follow them as i've um suggested and also um follow us on buff connects on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm at Claire Anyam O on all the channels as well, and via our website www. Uk. Have a fantastic afternoon. Take care. Thank you.
8: Bye. Bye. Bye.